Welcome to Speaking of Travel with Marilyn Ball. Sit back and be carried away to places around the world and right here in our own backyard. No passport required. Hi, this is Marilyn Ball, and you're listening to Speaking of Travel right here on News Radio 570 WWNC and 101.1 FM The Revolution. Speaking of Travel is powered by our strategic partners, the Asheville Regional Airport. Take the easy way out. Plan your next trip at flyavl.com. By Appalachian Realty. You know, they've been helping people call Asheville home for a long time, since 1979. That's appalachianrealty.com. By Chimney Rock at Chimney Rock State Park, where you can see one of the highest waterfalls east of the Mississippi. That's Chimney Rock. Rockpark.com and by Private Italy Tours. You know you want to go. 2019 tours are available now, so just go. That's private-italy.com. And don't forget to visit the Speaking of Travel website, speakingoftravel.net, and sign up for the Speaking of Travel Travel Club. We've got a lot in store for 2018, so be sure you sign up today. And you can listen to any episode of Speaking of Travel past and present with a simple click on the Speaking of Travel website, on the iHeartRadio app, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Well, did you know that being away from the humdrum of daily life, whether it's work or managing your home, and going off and having a journey with a group of women will bring much-needed respite from all of that? Well, it's true. And here to tell us more is my guest, Julie Thorner. Julie is an adventure marketing gal with a passion for Tibet. For the last two years, Julie has led a small group of women from Western North Carolina through Eastern Tibet with the simple mission of connecting with women on the other side of the world and learning a different way of life. She's returning to Speaking of Travel today to talk to us about this amazing pilgrimage tour as she sets out on tour number three. Julie, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you back. Thank you so much, Marilyn. I'm delighted to be here. Well, Julie, when you were here last, you were just getting ready to start out on this journey and and take this pilgrimage, give us a little idea of how that even started and, and how it has unfolded. Well, sure. Um, that's right. When we last talked, uh, I had been to Tibet for the first time and came away from it with uh, two Tibetan colleagues and I thinking about uh, planning this tour. What happened when I first went to Tibet, it was on a, a two-week program doing volunteer consulting in adventure tourism marketing, and I traveled across a various towns and cities in Tibet and met lots of uh, Tibetans, but mostly men, male guides and monks. We traveled to famous monasteries. We talked with various people, but I didn't get to meet very many women. The only woman I really spent any time with was one of the female guides who was part of our program over there. We were helping Tibetans learn about um, adventure tourism, marketing, and various consulting um, opportunities. And at the end of the trip, I said to my two colleagues, um, Seringso, the woman, and then Nimatashi, a, a fellow who was the translator for the group, I said, this was such an amazing experience. I love it. 
And I met, you know, monks and lamas and guides and entrepreneurs and villagers. And I wondered, where are the women? I wanted to understand the what life was like uh, for the women, the lay people and nuns, because I, I only saw a few nuns. Um, and I said to them, gosh, wouldn't it be great to do a tour where women can come and get to meet and experience a little glimpse of the life of women in the village or women at a nunnery? And they thought that was a pretty interesting idea. And I said, well, I'm sure that there are Westerners like me who are very interested in understanding what our Tibetan sisters' lives are like. If you guys help put this tour together, I'll help fill the first one. And that's what we did, Marilyn, when when you and I talked back in, uh, I think it was 2015, mm-hmm. 16, we were... Um, we had put together the first exploratory tour, and we were getting ready to go on it. And you did. And how many people did you end up with on that first tour? The first trip, we had seven people. Uh, we designed the tour to be very small, so eight guests or fewer. And we had seven adventurous souls who uh, decided to do that exploratory tour. We, it was an eight-day tour uh, on the first version of it in 2016. We made some modifications to that tour, and in 2017, we expanded it to be a 12-day tour. In 2017, we took four women, and now in 2018, we have five women going, and I actually leave in... Uh, Almost exactly, well, exactly uh, three and a half weeks. Our tour starts on September the 8th. Wow. Well, give us an idea, Julie, of what, uh, especially let's go back to that very first tour when you had, uh, you know, this was your first venture there with a group that you brought with you. Uh, Give us an idea of, like, where do you even land? Give us some geographic uh, pointers here. Sure. So um, we landed, we, we all flew to Chengdu, China. Um, Chengdu is in Sichuan province. If you look at a map of China, Chengdu looks like it's really in the middle of China, if you consider the Tibetan Autonomous Region as the far um, uh, uh, western edge of China. So Chengdu, it turns out, is the gateway to all of Tibet and the and the Tibetan Plateau, there's a very large population of Tibetans there, and it's the actual merchant center for importing goods from Nepal and India and other places that the monasteries of Tibet come to, the the monks and nuns come to these stores in Chengdu to buy their statues and religious objects and, and clothing and apparel and all kinds of things for their monasteries and nunneries. I didn't realize that when I when I first started. So we fly into Chengdu, which is the gateway to Tibet, and from Chengdu, that first tour we drove north to the Amdo region of Tibet. That's called Eastern Tibet. If you look at a map of China, it looks like it's in China. It's due north of Chengdu. And um, it looks like it's outside of Tibet. The Tibet Autonomous Region, and actually this is really important for your listeners um, to know, most of us don't know, and I certainly didn't realize, and I even have an East Asian degree from Duke University, for goodness sake, 
but I didn't realize that the Tibetan area of what is now China is actually about twice as big as what we see on an actual map. The Tibet Autonomous Region includes two provinces of Tibet, Yutsang and Yutsang and Nari, so central Tibet and then western Tibet. In fact, there are two more regions, Amdo and Kham, which are, if we look, at, if we're looking at a map, they're to the east and um, north and south of the Tibet Autonomous Region, so all the way east and then uh, up to Mongolia and down towards the border of um, Sikkim and Nepal and and those those countries. Amdo is um, eastern Tibet. It's looking at a map. It's to the right of the TAR and um, on the northern edge of it. That's where the 14th Dalai Lama is from, and in fact, many Dalai Lamas are from Amdo. So Amdo is where we went for our pilgrimage tour. It's typically a, a farming village type um, area, and then Kham is the other region outside of the TAR, and that tends to be more of the nomadic peoples that um, a lot of folks have heard about in Tibet. Wow. Well, this is really fabulous and so interesting to hear. And when we come back, I'd like to talk more about the people that you met and and what it was like for the women who who have come with you on this incredible pilgrimage. Julie, it's really fabulous. And I also want to talk to you about your um, your foundation. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, well, thank you. I am delighted to be here. This is such fun. Great. Well, this is Marilyn Ball. You're listening to Speaking of Travel. My guest today is Julie Thorner, and we'll be right back. With 50 flights every day to and from cities like Atlanta, Charlotte, and Chicago, you can fly to hundreds of worldwide destinations with one easy connection. Choose Allegiant, American, Delta, Elite, or United right here from Asheville Regional Airport. And when you fly home, you're home. Asheville Regional Airport. Take the easy way out. Chimney Rock at Chimney Rock State Park's annual pass holders can look forward to endless adventures. The Outcroppings Trail to the park's iconic chimney is the ultimate Stairmaster. Hike with your kids to Hickory Nut Falls, one of the tallest waterfalls east of the Mississippi. Or take the new Skyline Trail to the top of the mountain. Pass holders are treated to exclusive events as well as special deals at the park and area attractions. Upgrade your day ticket to an annual pass during your visit. People call Asheville home for all different reasons, and they all mean a better quality of living that reflects their very own uniqueness. Whether you're looking for a funky loft in downtown Asheville, an arts and crafts bungalow in a walkable community, or a small farm to create your own artistic legacy, Appalachian Realty Associates will help you find properties as unique as you. Visit them at AppalachianRealty.com or at their welcoming bungalow office office on Arlington Street, right near downtown. Appalachian Realty, helping people call Asheville home since 1979. The gravel crunches under your shoes. Steam rises from a cup of fresh Italian cafe. 
The light, cool morning air lightly brushes your face. Your villa stands close by. This and so much more awaits you as one of the few lucky travelers to join Private Italy Tours during one of their unique and intimate small group tours. Come home again to Italy with Private Italy Tours. 2019 dates are now available. Visit private-italy.com. Private Italy Tours is a proud sponsor of Speaking of Travel. Your business trip shouldn't start with a road trip. Hundreds of global destinations are just one connection away, starting at Asheville Regional Airport. Fly Allegiant, American, Delta, Elite, and United. Asheville Regional Airport, your local connection to the world. Visit flyavl.com to plan your next trip. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. And let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words... Welcome back. This is Marilyn Ball. You're listening to Speaking of Travel. My guest today is Julie Thorner. Uh, For the last couple of years, Julie has led a small group of women from Western North Carolina through Eastern Tibet, connecting women on the other side of the world. And Julie, I'm telling you, I'm so moved here um, just listening to to putting this all together and taking a pilgrimage. what a, a profound way to uh, segue your life from marketing and, and adventure travel, right? Well, it's certainly been fun. Yeah. So before the break, we were talking about um, when you get there and uh, and you go up and you stay in these villages. Talk to us a little bit about the, the village and the village life there. Yeah, I, I sure will. It's really interesting. So the woman that I um, lead the tour with uh, is the colleague that I met when I first went to Tibet. And um, she's a really interesting young woman in her early 30s, and she's from a very small village in Amdo. We actually go to her village. Her village is 1,400 years old, and it looks a lot like it used to uh, years and years ago, except that they have... uh, some more modern types of construction materials, and they do have electricity. They do have some running water. And um, otherwise, they live very, very much like they did in ancient times. Uh, their their world is, it's, it's very simple compared to our world. It's such a contrast for us as Westerners, or for me as an American, with my marketing agency and my technology tools and being online and and you know my home that's outfitted with the things of modern life to compare that to the village their life is quite simple and they're very focused on every day needing to do certain things to make their life work so you know the most important in a farming village is the farming and taking care of the animals they have yaks and uh zoos those are d z h o that's a cross between a cow and a yak um and they have to take their yaks up to the mountainside outside of the village every day where they um they graze on the mountainside, and a couple of the villagers take turns looking after those yaks. The yaks and zoos get milked every morning and every night, so it, it's like a typical farm life in that they're very much, their world is organized around farm chores. 
they interestingly enough they do have a refrigerator and it's empty so we all chuckled at that we were surprised to see a fridge but it's so dry and arid in that climate in Amdo that they really don't need much in the way of refrigeration they butcher a yak uh, on an occasional basis and then they're able to use the meat long term they make butter they make butter and they and they do their milking and they make um, a kind of cheese from their um, yak milk uh, that all pretty much um, doesn't require refrigeration because they're milking every day. They boil the milk on the stove. They don't drink it um, without first boiling it. They were real clear with us. Don't drink it until it's been boiled. So their their diet's really simple. They're, they're in farming, their primary staple crop is barley. I don't really know much about barley, Marilyn. We don't really use barley much in this country, and it turns out it's a crop that really grows best at altitude. It is a life-saving crop for the Tibetans. They can live on barley flour um, mixed with water or yak milk, and they sort of mush it into a paste with their hands, and they eat that. It's called sampa. They eat that all winter long, and it's literally life-sustaining. And they supplement it with yak meat and yak milk and butter, and they have green vegetables that they grow in their very short growing season during the summer. So what was the temperature like when you were there? Well, that's a really good question. The first tour we went uh, was October, and it was actually the mid, the second and third weeks in October. Then we've moved the tour a little bit earlier, so it's the second and third week of September. When we were there in October, we experienced every kind of, of temperature. During the day, we're up at altitude. It's about nine or 10,000 feet, and the sun is very, very hot. And in the sun, we would be stripped down to T-shirts. So it'd be 70, even 80 in the sun. Um, very, very dry. And then at night, the temperature dropped into the 30s. And when we were at the nunnery, it actually snowed on us. It was really beautiful. Well, let's talk a little bit about the nunnery, Julie, because that's a big part of what was your original vision uh, to go. Tell us a little bit about um, what what are the, you know, how are these nunneries different from, let's say, a Catholic nunnery? Well, that's a... Uh that's a really good question as well. Uh, I don't know a lot about the Catholic nunneries, but I would imagine that it's pretty different. The nunneries in Tibet, um, I was thinking they would be quite similar to the monasteries, and the very famous old monasteries in Tibet have large uh, dormitories and then big temples and study areas and they're, they're large complexes with hundreds to even thousands of monks there. And the monks go to their monastic training from a very young age, like four, five, and six. And in contrast, at the nunneries, these, the nunneries tend to be quite a bit poorer, less well-funded. The nuns get to the nunnery about age 18. They don't come as young girls. It's... Uh, it's not really common for young women to go to the nunnery, and they tend to be escaping something, uh, either an arranged marriage that they don't want or a life in the village that they're really not looking forward to because it's really hard work. 
So when we went to visit the nunnery, which is near Seringso's village where we stayed for the homestay, the nunnery stay, we, um, we stayed with her aunt, who is a nun there, and we were able to listen to her aunt's story. Um, so before I talk about the story, I'll just back up and say that the nunnery, my colleagues had warned me that the nuns don't get the same kind of education as the monks do. In Tibet, the monasteries are the center of higher education. The education there at those monasteries is absolutely incredible. And young boys go, and they get the equivalent of elementary, middle, high school, college, and graduate degrees at these monasteries. And the nuns don't tend to go until they're about 18. They may or may not have gone to elementary school or high school, so many of them are not very literate. They'll learn to read basic Tibetan in order to do the Buddhist chants, but they really are not well-educated, and there's not a real effort from what we saw at this nunnery, and and the nuns uh, also confirm that it's true pretty much across Tibet. There are exceptions, and things are changing. Um, His Holiness the Dalai Lama is, is focused on women's education. But at this nunnery, there um, there is not a lot in way of real educational training. It's a very poor nunnery. There's no dormitory. Every nun has her own very small house. We're talking like one-room house with a little compound outside for a stove. There's usually a wood stove inside. There might be a separate sleeping room. They're very small, and the family is is um, who has to build the house for the nun. So a very poor nun or from a poor family has a much more modest house. They're all very basic compared to what we live in. Um, So that was really different. So these little houses are stacked up against the hillside. Their their bathroom facilities are quite dreadful. That's part of what um, I'd like to help support changing through my foundation that we started this past winter. Um, so the the life of the nun, it's easier than in the village because they do spend a lot of time in meditation and chants and, and learning and talking about Buddhism. They have a teacher who's the master of the nunnery who comes and gives lessons to the nuns and then any students of other um, of other of his students. So a lot of his students will come. The master is almost exclusively male of these nunneries, and they're... Um, Their students can be from across Tibet, and the students are often men as well, top students, and then master comes to the nunnery and does teachings for the nuns. That's a primary way that they get their education about Buddhism. Well, Julie, when we come back from the break, I'd like to talk more about that and find out some of the the rituals that they have and um, and and talk more about your your foundation. So, thank you so much, Julie, for being on the show, Julie Thorner. Leave or 
ordinary behind with a visit to Chimney Rock at Chimney Rock State Park. Surround yourself with breathtaking views of Lake Lure and the Hickory Nut Gorge while enjoying six hiking trails, rock climbing with Fox Mountain Guide instructors, and Animal Discovery Den, unique events, and more. Whether you're new to hiking or a seasoned pro, there's something for everyone at The Rock. To plan your next Chimney Rock adventure, visit ChimneyRockPark.com to see an online trail map and a listing of the park's upcoming events. Hi, this is Tina Kinsey, and I am with Asheville Regional Airport, and I have a travel tip for you today. All travelers need a government-issued ID when traveling, the most common being a driver's license or a passport. But have you ever thought about what you would do if if you lost your ID when traveling? No matter what, this scenario would be a headache. However, an easy step you can take ahead of time to expedite replacement is to make copies of your IDs and have these with you when you travel. You could even take photos of your IDs and have them stored in your phone or email scanned copies to yourself. That way, you will have the information you need at your fingertips when you begin the process of replacement. Any real estate company's success is a reflection of its attention and care provided to its clients. Appalachian Realty Associates are proven to have the best agents around. And if you're looking for a place in Asheville and Western North Carolina, they'll help you find properties as unique as you are. Visit them at AppalachianRealty.com or at their welcoming bungalow office on Arlington Street near downtown. Appalachian Realty, helping people call Asheville home since 1979. Whether your trip to Italy reminds you of days past, a honeymoon, or a long-ago backpacking trip, come home again to Italy with Private Italy Tours. Picture your own private villa or four-star hotel, private guides who speak and understand the local culture, and days planned for your ease and comfort. This and so much more awaits you during one of their unique and intimate small group tours. 2019 dates are now available. Visit private-italy.com. Private Italy Tours is a proud sponsor of Speaking of Travel. Leave ordinary behind with a visit to Chimney Rock at Chimney Rock State Park. Surround yourself with breathtaking views of Lake Lure and the Hickory Nut Gorge while enjoying six hiking trails, rock climbing with Fox Mountain Guide instructors, and Animal Discovery Den, unique events, and more. Whether you're new to hiking or a seasoned pro, there's something for everyone at The Rock. To plan your next Chimney Rock adventure, visit ChimneyRockPark.com to see an online trail map and a listing of the park's upcoming events. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words... We are so happy to have our good friend Doc Lawrence joining us today on the Gourmet Highway. Hey, Doc. You know, I'm feeling like a little beach time today, and here you're visiting one of the best-kept secret beach destinations in the South, Lauderdale-by-the-Sea. Hello, Marilyn. Did you ever want to have a vacation where no one can find you, but all the creature comforts were at your fingertips? Welcome to Lauderdale-by-the-Sea, Marilyn. I used to live here. This is a real barrier island right next to Fort Lauderdale and Pompano Beach, but very, very different. When I published a newspaper in South Florida, the Nationwide News, I lived here. And you know, I miss this place. This is a little bit of Key West, a little bit of Miami, a little bit of Havana, 
and a little bit of original Florida. They call the buildings here low-rise because the zoning ordinance will not allow one of those monstrosities to be built here. So everything looks like it did back in the days of Ernest Hemingway. It's, it's beautiful. It's pristine. You've got almost two miles of beach, uninterrupted, completely accessible, white sand, and more than anything else, there's a lot to do here. You don't need a car. You can walk everywhere. Want to go to a good restaurant? Marilyn, come on and join me for happy hour today at the Aruba Club. It's right around the corner from where I'm standing right now on the pier. And this is where you have fresh Florida seafood for lunch and dinner. And you've got a large dose, seven nights a week, of live reggae, blues, and rock and roll. You can't beat that. Talk about seeing celebrities. Well, I never saw Jack and Jackie here, but they used to come to this little island during their early days, and there's pictures of them here. The New York Yankee greats of the 50s and 60s, Mickey Mantle, Whitey Ford, Casey Stengel, and others, they came to the Pier Cafe and to nurse their hangovers with hot coffee and ham and eggs. Few things have changed since then. This is the perfect place to enjoy, let your hair down, and meet new people. Lauderdale by the Sea is very popular with foreigners. I always meet people from Russia, England, Italy, Israel, Canada, you name it. And they are wonderful. They come here because this is the real Florida that the world loves. It ain't Disney World. This is real here. It's for adults and family. This is the one place that I know that will never change. The little shops where the old people and the young families gather and have uh, camaraderie. The little cafes that are open at 6 a.m. where you can feel the ocean breeze before the sting of the afternoon and enjoy nice coffee, fresh squeezed Florida orange juice, and all kinds of breakfast delights. The arts are profound here. Galleries everywhere. Museums everywhere. And think about it. You don't need a car. You really don't need a bicycle. This is the place that I'd like to come back to someday and maybe retire. Who knows? Maybe nothing can really take me away from Atlanta. I love both places. But I'll say this. This is the Florida that you want to visit. This is the place you want to invest a week of your money into a nice place and stay, meet, walk, expand your horizons, and go home a brand new, refreshed person. We're Maryland. You know, I've got plans tonight, and I wish you were here with me. I need to go shower. I'm a little dirty from being in the sun today. Put on a clean shirt, some shorts, and some flip-flops, and I think I'll head on over to the Aruba Club, right by the beach, and enjoy a margarita or two or three, some fresh Florida seafood, and hang around for an evening of live reggae. This is Doc Lawrence on the Gourmet Highway from lovely Lauderdale-by-the-Sea, Florida, saying goodbye for Maryland Ball, and speaking of travel, I hope to see you soon in your city. Doc, this is a place I want to be right now. I wish I was there with you by the sea for an evening of good food, good times, and good friends. Till next time, so long for now, Doc. You can follow the journey with Doc on the Gourmet Highway by visiting thegourmethighway.com. Julie Thorner has been going to Tibet now. This is your third year. Is that right, Julie? Yes, it is. Wow. And 
Before the break, we were talking about the nunnery and and the people that you were meeting, the women you were meeting there. Tell us a little bit about, um, you were talking a little about their life and how simple and basic it is. Tell us a little bit about, um, you know, their, their are, are they Buddhist nuns? Yeah, uh, and also I just want to make a, a correction. It'll be the third year for the Tibet tour. It'll be my fourth year oh. to Tibet, actually, uh, this fall in September. So the nunnery where we go, they are practicing uh, the Nyingma uh, lineage of Tibetan Buddhism. And in, in my mind, Tibetan Buddhism is one of the most interesting uh, kinds of Buddhism out there. It's incredibly juicy because what the Tibetans did is they took Buddhism from India and then they incorporated what was already in Tibet called Bon, B-O-N, Bon Shamanism, which was more of a, a nature-based religion with fairies and spirits in the mountains and the rivers and deities. They brought all of those into the Buddhism religion and created Tibetan Buddhism, which is why Tibetan Buddhism is so different from Zen. Zen is very simple and pure and really sort of stark, whereas Tibetan Buddhism has prayer flags and prayer wheels and and um, temples and deities and protectors and things that you don't typically see in the in the Zen world. I know a little bit about now Tibetan Buddhism, not a lot, but I find it really, really interesting. And I love how they manage to incorporate m- multiple beliefs and bring them to their central tenet of be kind, be generous, and be compassionate. And those are three of the things that just really so deeply impacted me, even on my very first visit to Tibet, and then just get deeper and more meaningful and more apparent to me each time I go back and do this pilgrimage tour because of the people that I meet and the conversations I have and what I, what I witness these villagers and nuns and, and other people doing as part of their everyday life. And I'm assuming that they're all speaking English? Oh, uh, actually, very few people speak English. So our guides, um, Seringso, and this year another gal, Sawang Doma, will, will come with us. They speak fluent English, and they speak Amdo Tibetan, and they speak Chinese. So in, um, in Amdo, in the, in the corners of Tibet, many Tibetans in rural areas will not speak Chinese. But Chinese is, of course, the national language that the Tibetans learn in school. So if they haven't been to much school, they won't speak a lot of Chinese. They'll only speak Tibetan. I don't speak any Tibetan now, although I am learning to read and write it. And um, I do speak enough Chinese to be conversant, but the rural villagers don't speak much Chinese. So our guides do all the interpretation for us. So that makes the conversations are able to flow. You can you can talk and ask questions and and have the responses. That's right. Yeah, and that works pretty well. The other thing I learned about um, Tibetan on my very first visit there is that the Tibetan dialects are actually so different that people who live in Amdo and Kam and Lhasa dialect they can't actually understand each other. 
So the the educated Tibetan is typically speaking Chinese to fellow Tibetans if they're from a different dialect. Wow. I thought that was actually quite interesting. The written language is identical, but the pronunciation is so different that it's not like our southerner um, accent or a New York accent. They they really can't understand each other. And Julie, tell us again before we go to break the the three tenets of the um, of their uh, foundation. Well, what I what I have learned them to be, and what the the masters and students and nuns and guides have told me is. For me, it's be kind, be generous, and be compassionate. So kindness, generosity, and compassion. And I see this played out every day in the actions of the people I meet in Tibet. Well, we need to bring those actions right back here to home. And Julie, when we come back, let's talk about how we can maybe help do that. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Julie Thorner on the show today talking about Tibet. This is Marilyn Ball, and we'll be back right after the break. Your business trip shouldn't start with a road trip. Hundreds of global destinations are just one connection away, starting at Asheville Regional Airport. Fly Allegiant, American, Delta, Elite, and United. Asheville Regional Airport, your local connection to the world. Visit flyavl.com to plan your next trip. The gravel crunches under your shoes. Steam rises from a cup of fresh Italian cafe. The light, cool morning air lightly brushes your face. Your villa stands close by. This and so much more awaits you as one of the few lucky travelers to join Private Italy Tours during one of their unique and intimate small group tours. Come home again to Italy with Private Italy Tours. 2019 dates are now available. Visit private-italy.com. Private Italy Tours is a proud sponsor of Speaking of Travel. Any real estate company's success is a reflection of its attention and care provided to its clients. Appalachian Realty Associates are proven to have the best agents around. And if you're looking for a place in Asheville and Western North Carolina, they'll help you find properties as unique as you are. Visit them at AppalachianRealty.com or at their welcoming bungalow office on Arlington Street near downtown. Appalachian Realty, helping people call Asheville home since 1979. Chimney Rock at Chimney Rock State Park's annual pass holders can look forward to endless adventures. The outcroppings trail to the park's iconic chimney is the ultimate stairmaster. Hike with your kids to Hickory Nut Falls, one of the tallest waterfalls east of the Mississippi, or take the new Skyline Trail to the top of the mountain. Pass holders are treated to exclusive events as well as special deals at the park and area attractions. Upgrade your day ticket to an annual pass during your visit. Your business trip shouldn't start with a road trip. Hundreds of global destinations are just one connection away, starting at Asheville Regional Airport. Fly Allegiant, American, Delta, Elite, and United. Asheville Regional Airport, your local connection to the world. Visit flyavl.com to plan your next trip. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words... 
I'm here today with Julie Thorner. Julie is uh, a marketing maven. I've known Julie for a long time through her marketing, but now she's taking groups over to Tibet. And Julie, before the break, we were talking about the the nuns and and the life that they have, their education. Um, Give us a little bit of an idea of the impact you had and your your fellow travelers uh, being there, being so in such an environment that is, um, you know, where they're looking at kindness and compassion and generosity. You know, definitely a big a big change from a lot of what we're experiencing, if you know what I mean. So, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's certainly right, Marilyn, and it's only gotten worse since I started going to Tibet. Well, at the nunnery, uh, the nuns are really, really kind, um, and they're very, they're, um, they laugh a lot, and they're quite happy and content, and they're very focused on in the simple lessons that they're trying to communicate with us about the importance of being kind and generous and compassionate, and how if if we don't get wrapped up in all of the sort of more complex principles and philosophies behind Buddhism, but we really focus on being a, a good person and kind and helpful and having compassion for others and for ourselves, that they say that's, that's enough, that you can be a really good person and you don't have to be well-educated. You, you just follow those principles and you can be a good Buddhist and a good person. And we got that, that message over and over uh, from them. And, you know, we, as we travel together, uh, my, the other sisters on, the, on this journey, we talked a lot about that and, and we shared our own life experiences and how we, we often don't have that in our own daily lives. And we, we were really focused on you're, you're stripped away from all of the other things that are going on in the craziness of our American life. Most of us were Americans on the first tour. We had two Indian sisters with us, too, from India. And we're focused on the simple things of, of having a life that is meaningful and supportive of others and of ourselves. And being there at the nunnery was a chance to really think deeply about that and practice some of that and understand what it is that when we came home, maybe we don't need to have as much of or be as concerned about. Uh, One of the things that happened at this nunnery was there was a fire burial that was taking place the the morning after our, our night there, and we were allowed to go to it. We went um, to the first part of it, and then we left before the actual match was lit. But what the nuns do in the village is they're responsible for helping villagers um, grieve their dead and bury or you know help the dead spirit go back up to their next life. And they have ceremonies for that that are quite moving. It it had snowed that night. There was a soft blanket of snow, and we walked up the hillside to this open-air temple, and the nuns were all sitting and chanting and playing little hand drums, and villagers, about four or five men had come up to um, bring the um, older man who had passed away a few days before and and help um, do the fire burial. We're creating this pyre and then bringing in the the body, etc. And for us, a part of me didn't want to go to this. I thought, oh, this is really going to be dreadful. I don't know how I'm going to react. 
But the other part, I, what I realized is I saw the love the nuns had for this villager. The, the family members stayed behind. They'd already said their goodbyes. And they, um, the villagers helped this, this man's body go back to ashes and the spirit be um, released. And the Tibetans, the way they approach life and death, to me was really, really helpful and healing because they're very cognizant of it in a very positive way. They believe in reincarnation. They believe that if we do the best that we can in this life, we'll have an even better life in the next life. And they, they're very clear about how each of us comes into the world as our own, in our own unique journey. Others can help you along the journey, but it's really your journey. You don't have to control that journey. And I've, I found I got the most out of that as a parent helping give more space to my children, understanding some of their choices, because they're teens and now in their 20s. Their choices are theirs, and they have their own journey. So it, it was really interesting, because the experience of the fire burial and the explanation from the nun, uh, so sister, of what that meant and afterlife, et cetera, helped me understand how to be a, I felt, a, a better parent to my children and then it also helped me profoundly deal with, when I returned from that very first tour, my very best friend was diagnosed with a, with a terrible cancer and then ended up passing away within about eight months. And I was able to deal with that completely differently because of my experience in Tibet. That's really beautiful and, and very meaning and, and healing, um, I think, for all of us uh, to get to that place. And... F- Talk, let's talk a little bit, too, in the time we have left, to uh, about your foundation, because that's such an important part of the work that you're doing uh, uh, for for humanity. Well, thanks, Marilyn. So the foundation is really exciting. Uh, Seringso, um, the gal who's the guide and, and really has become my younger sister, uh, the Tibetan woman that I met in Chengdu, She's very well educated, and you know she's from this village. She finds young Tibetans who are very smart and want to go to college. They've gone to high school. They've passed entrance exams to college. They're primarily young Tibetan women. They don't have enough funds to go to school, and they're very much the very first person in their family who has ever tried to get a higher education. And Seringso acts as a bridge builder. She helps find sponsors for these young people to go to college. And my very first year there, when we were talking, um, she brought up uh, a sponsor. It was actually for her brother. And I asked some more questions and realized what she was doing, and she had a young person who was in need of sponsorship because their family had run into hard times and, and couldn't sponsor her anymore. So I jumped in to do that, and and um, it turns out it's very inexpensive to sponsor a young person to go to college in China. It's $1,000 a year. And what I decided is that in order to find sponsors in America to help these young people more than just me as a single sponsor, I needed a, a nonprofit organization so Americans could have a, a um, a tax-free donation. And so I looked first for organizations already doing this kind of work in Tibet, but there weren't any. And in fact, the Chinese government is not so keen on NGOs working in Tibet. 
So our foundation is a little under the radar, but it is it is a um, bona fide 501c3 whose sole f- focus is to help um, right now with education sponsorships for young Tibetans, where we sponsor a young person for four years of college on a one-to-one person-to-person relationship. So I have a student I'm sponsoring, and we now have actually seven students that are being sponsored by um, former guests of the pilgrimage tour and some of my uh, friends in my network here. So I'm actually delighted, and we're also using this foundation to help with some projects at the nunnery that uh, I've asked uh, Seringso to talk to her aunt about because the nuns need to control whether those projects happen and and how we could be helpful. I'm looking at bringing together um, nomads from a camp we went to in our pilgrimage tour who built really good composting toilets to have them come and build the same kind of system at the nunnery because their current bathroom facilities are just beyond atrocious. Mm. I mean, it's really awful. So anyway, these are ways in which we can help them um, with projects that are useful for them that they choose and they get to lead. And I feel really fortunate to be able to be a part of that. Absolutely. So how can we be a part of that, Julie? How can we connect with you? Well, my foundation website is liquidsparkfoundation.org. And we are looking for additional sponsors for young people to go to school. And you can go to that website and reach out, read about what we do, and hit the contact form, and we can match you up with a young Tibetan actually for this coming school year, which is uh, early September, because we still have some students that we can sponsor. Great. Well, we are definitely going to do it, and it's liquidsparkfoundation.org. That's correct. Awesome. Just like it sounds, liquidsparkfoundation.org. Well, Julie Thorner, thank you so much for being on the show today and and sharing with us your your pilgrimage and and learning more about Tibet. And when you come back, we're going to want to do this again and catch up. That sounds great. I can't wait to be back. And thanks for having me on the show, Marilyn. I love to be here talking about Tibet and this opportunity for sisters around the world to get together. Well, thank you, Julie, for all the work you're doing. We'll talk to you on the other side. Thank you. Oh, you bet. This is Marilyn Baugh. You've been listening to Speaking of Travel. Remember, go out and be kind, be compassionate, be generous. Think about that. Make a point of doing that. Pay attention to do that. And remember, don't postpone joy. <laughs> <laughs> 